I've used this uh, quote from N.T. Wright uh, for several years now because I, I stumbled upon it. I think it, it summarizes Advent so well for those of us who are not used to a liturgical church calendar, right? And we don't really follow a liturgical church calendar. If you've been around us for a while, you, you know that, except maybe for this, except maybe for, for Advent. And he says this, the early Christians developed the church's year as a way of telling, learning, and reliving the story of Jesus, which stands at the heart of our faith. As they did so, they came to understand that it wasn't simply a matter of going round and around the same sequence and never getting anywhere. Think of a bicycle wheel. It goes round and round, but it's moving forwards, not standing still. The same circuit around the hub of the wheel becomes part of the forward movement of the bicycle as a whole. So it is with the church's year. We go around the circuit, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter, Pentecost. But the point of it all is that in doing this, we're not simply going round and round the same topics and never getting anywhere. We're signing on as part of God's larger project, God's forward purposes, his plans for the whole creation to be renewed so that, as the prophet said, the earth will be full of the knowledge and glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Jesus, God brought heaven and earth together. In his second coming, that joining together will be complete. That is the Advent hope. And as I pressed into Advent again this year, as I prayed about hope, as I, I put together our service for today, as I went through the scriptures that, that William read for us again, there was something deeper and personal this year that I haven't had in years past. I felt a deep appreciation for the things that remain constant, right? There's been a lot of change. There's been a lot of turmoil. A lot of people that, that we, we know that we see and maybe they've moved away. Things have shifted. Family has gotten older. I've gotten older. But there's a constancy that I have here. And coming back to these things again, I feel the familiarity of the kingdom of God coming close in the person of Jesus. And it starts nourishing my soul in a way that really no other time of year has. And there's a goodness to be found here. There, there's a hope to be found here that, that is at, at once so familiar and also so new. And it's so exciting to me to, to look at it again and say, come Lord Jesus, I need your hope again. I need your hope today in 2021, the same way that I had it as, as a teenager pressing into the cross for the first time, the, the same way that I needed it as a young married couple. I come back to you again because your hope is still before me, because your hope is still filling my heart and my lungs as I say, come Lord Jesus. The theme for this year's Advent season for us is embodiment. It's another way of really saying incarnation. Colossians 2.9 says this very succinctly. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It, before we even think that we can get that so easily, just think about what that's really saying, that for in Christ, for in this man who walked among us, all the fullness of the deity, not lived, but lives in bodily form. That, that is one of the most confounding statements that I, I think we can put before us. If you have any concept of God, if you have any concept of the divine, if you have any concept of a power that could create everything you could see, that the, the heavens and all their splendor and glory, the furthest stars from here, that the fullness of the deity lived in bodily form and continues to live now at the right hand of the Father is one of the most profound things I can imagine. And that's, of course, John 1.14. The word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you've been in the church for a while, these things can almost become too rote. They can become something that you, you say and that you, you talk about without realizing the depth of what we're actually saying. The word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. He didn't just visit for a spell. It wasn't like the, 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 the tabernacle of meeting, the, the place where you'd go and, and you'd have an encounter with God. And often that's what we think. We want to go to church. We want to have an encounter with the Spirit. We want to have a, a brush with glory. You know, we want to come close. There was a, a job that I worked where we um, were around the tennis players, and we would have a daily report we'd have to send to our, our team. This is when I did, like, the Wimbledon websites. We'd have all the metrics for how many people visited the site and how many people did this and all that new technology. And then we included this really fun part that was called the brush with greatness. That's like whenever you'd walk by John McEnroe on the way to the, to the hallway or you see Roger Federer on the practice court. You'd, we have our brush with greatness. Imagine you're not having a brush with greatness. You're not just encountering the divine for a day, for an hour, for a moment for a momentary healing. But imagine instead that he made his dwelling with you, that he moved into your house, that he lived with you for an extended period of time to show his love, to show his provision, to, to come close and to stay close and to call you his own, to extend his story to include you, that, that for your days they overlapped with the intent and the purposes of the kingdom of God. That's what John is telling us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. When we talk about the embodiment of these things, it's not personification or metaphor. It's certainly not a caricature. Think about it this way. A, a gavel can embody justice, but not as a symbol. If you have a gavel hanging on your wall, that's just a metaphor, Right? That's not embodying justice. It's not as a bystander while the judge is listening. You know, then you have this prop. It's kind of waiting to be used. But when a gavel is being used to declare and to dispense justice, to say, it is decided, in that moment, a gavel is embodying justice. It's declaring clearly and proudly something has happened. A wedding ring can embody love, not on the shelf before it's purchased, right? not as jewelry that's adorned to match an outfit, right? If you take your wedding ring on and off with the clothes that you wear, is that really a testimony to the love that is in your heart that you're trying to share? But I'd argue in the fullness of time, through all the twists and turns, a wedding ring is more than a symbol. The wear and tear on the metal itself speaks to how it's embodied love through the ages. The president, I could argue, embodies the American government. An attack on the president, people say, is an attack on the United States itself. Here's your Lord of the Rings reference for the day. Frodo is the embodiment of their hope. He's distinct from the fellowship, but as, it, as he goes, so they all go. If he falls, they all fall. He's the embodiment of, the, of that fellowship of the ring. Anybody? Nobody? All right. It's Christmas season, y'all. Like, like, it doesn't not stir in you, Lord of the Rings, that this is the, the time where you have to watch that? Yeah. <laughs> Just William and I. And it's important not to think of, of the embodiment of something as, as a mascot, like Rudy for Notre Dame was in many ways there. I'll, I'll switch to, to sports and football, see if I can get some more folks on, on board. You know, <laughs> Rudy was, was like, he's the embodiment of the fighting spirit of the fighting Irish of Notre Dame, but he was absolutely not the best of them. He, he could barely qualify. He didn't have all the skills. He wasn't all of that stuff. He wasn't the embodiment of Notre Dame football, 
Maybe a band reference. <laughs> Which beetle is the embodiment of the spirit of the beetles? Because we already know that the Lord has it. Yes. There. <laughs> but let me say this. No one, no one can embody the gospel as Jesus Christ. No one can embody scripture, the word spoken as Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the Father, if you want to know God himself, if you want to understand all of that, where do you look? You look to Jesus. He helps us understand the prophets. He helps us understand wisdom literature. He helps us understand the history of, of, of the people of Israel and the current flight with Roman and then everything that came with the Acts of the Apostles. All of that to be interpreted through the life and teachings of Jesus shows us so much more. And you can still speak with him. He lives. He lives. That the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Christ. Summer last week asked me a really good question. I thought if she was here, I would have asked if this was okay to share. But she said it in pre-service prayer. She said, why is it that we can spend so much time in, in media of all sorts and the music and shows and movies and books and it sticks so well? And she was feeling bad. Like, I can remember these movie references like Rudy and I, I know about the sports things and all these things that are happening and it sticks in my brain faster than the story of the gospel. And, and I responded, I, I don't think that this was necessarily like a wonderful wisdom moment, but I said, you know, Lord, give us artists. Give the church artists. You know, we, we need somebody to put the beauty in our hearts and in the stories before us that, that it, it paints a picture that excites not just our intellect, because our, our faith walk is not a matter of understanding these things perfectly, but on embracing the fullness of what this is and living it out. And that's the art, that's the creativity, that, that's something that captures our soul and says yes and amen and let's walk this forward from here. Lord, give us more C.S. Lewis's and Tolkien's to, to put this story before us that we know these things in truth. I got to thinking after that about Advent, that we can spend a lifetime, it seems, picking the, the, the Bible apart word by word sometimes, trying to put it together in some way that we can understand it. And I'm going to argue that, that there's a masterpiece in embodying grace and law. Les Mis, you all know this story? Les Mis is the, the embodiment of grace versus law. Jean Valjean and Inspector Javert and Victor Hugo's book here. Such an incredible picture of grace and law. And you have these characters and their whole life is kind of spent, I embody grace. I was a criminal and I was forgiven by a priest and the Lord set me free from this. And Inspector Javert, the, the embodiment of law and order, cannot comprehend grace. And he chases after him saying, this cannot be. If you're a criminal, if you have wronged this, then forever you will be wrong. And you have this battle between grace and law through their entire lives. And I think, church, if we can spend our lives embodying something of the gospel, so much better for it. And if we try to embody all of the gospel, it's an overwhelming task because we went through the spiritual disciplines. It's hard enough to, to get our, our quiet times in order. It's hard enough for us to try to order ourselves whenever we're putting up Christmas decorations and remaining consistently uh, hopeful before our kids, right? We need to extend grace to ourselves in this season, I think. Jesus was the embodiment of all the gospel, grace, judgment, kindness, providence, joy, prophecy, provision, redemption, hope, forgiveness, sanctification, love. I could go on and on. But back in 1 Corinthians, Paul ends that chapter I spoke before with this. 
Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The grace of these is love. We're going to leave faith and hope aside this week and see that hope remains. I think this is really profound, y'all, that hope is eternal. Hope remains. And I think we often have hope as a fleeting thing. We think as a, a temporary fix, that we hope for something, then we have it, then we no longer have hope for it because we have the thing before us. But hope is meant to remain. It's a component of our souls. It's something that we walk into, that we embrace, that's a part of this entirety of the, of the gospel that we walk out. The things we hope for have an eternal weight to them. We've all hoped for things that have disappointed us, yes? Can't just be me. Now we hope for things and often they're shallow. We don't even know what we're asking for. I think sometimes we see hopes that are just utterly sad when you realize that there, there's people who, who have hopes of, I, I hope that somebody doesn't forget my birthday this year. I hope that, that maybe someday I'll, I won't be depressed. I hope, I hope that, that maybe I'll, I'll live to see another year. You know, we, we have these hopes that, that, that betray something about us, and we've decreased our hopes. We, we've reduced what's in our souls from this eternal weight when we're not looking at the gospel. Christ incarnate is all of this. Hope, faith, love, joy, peace, and more. I think that we, church, can handle being a little Christ, a little incarnation, as we look at hope this season. Hope is vitally important to our souls. You know, a person cannot live a, a meaningful life very long without hope. Proverbs tells us that a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Y'all have probably heard this one. This is reused all the time, but I don't feel like we live this wisdom. We're used to deferring hope. We live in a culture where we, we put our, our, our financial hope in the future and we live for retirement. And we think that's the day where I'll come alive. That's the day where I'll travel. That, that's the day where whenever I'm free from this, this burden right now, then that's where I'll finally start living the life for, for me. Those things that I long for. We, we kick this can down the road, not embracing the here and now. To say that hope remains, I really think is saying, look at today. Embrace the hope that we have for today. The season you have with your kids, the season that you have in college, the season you have as a student, the season you have in this house, whatever it may be, there is hope for today to be found in Jesus Christ. And it's not to be deferred. It's not to say one day, if I live a good life, I'll go to heaven when I die. That's not the Christian hope. And, and I hope you've heard me say this before. Our hope is not to go to heaven when we die. That is a sad hope. <laughs> And I think that that's what we understand the gospel to be, is that, well, after you die, that's where, you know, this stuff becomes real. Oh, my goodness. So what do I do until then? <laughs> we just waste time? We just try to get through, like, like skate through? Ooh, don't, don't make too many mistakes. You know, we, we don't want to give up that hope. Hope is anchored here and now, and it remains. Don't get me wrong. I do believe we go to heaven for a period until there's new creation. Our ultimate hope, church, is recreation. A new heaven, a new earth. That's what Revelation tells us. That's the picture where the fulfillment of our hope is finally realized. Our hope is not to one day join with God in heaven. Because there's two problems with that. that that's a weak hope. It's a deferred hope. And our ultimate hope is recreation. I believe that's the promise 
But we have to realize that that hope is not wishing. This is Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Hope does not disappoint. How many things do we wish for that have disappointed? How many things have we longed for that have disappointed? How many things do we put our, 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 our emphasis on and our time spent into that we know are going to be fleeting? Latest, I, I work in tech, right? It's all disappointing. <laughs> behind the scenes, it's always smoke and mirrors. You know, when you get behind these things, I, I've not yet found the magical piece of technology that's going to transform your lives in the way that, that all the commercials promise you it will. The cars that you, you, you dream about, you know, they get dirty and scuffed up. The shoes you think you're going to wear, they all wear out. Everything on this earth is temporary and fleeting, and yet there's a weight of some things that are eternal. To hear people talking about Thanksgiving and the community of the saints, to hear about relationships being revisited and renewed and restored, to see the goodness of the Lord manifest through this body and to the churches that we support in Russia and throughout all of our, our beautiful city and state. There's a community here that has eternal worth. And my hope is to see really that those things that matter, those things that have weight, are blessed and visited by us in this time. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope is embodied in Jesus. Let me say this clearly. Hope has to be specific to satisfy us in our Advent logging. A, a, a generic hope, a, a concept of hope without something specific behind it really leaves you just wondering, well, what is this thing? Is it, are, are we just talking virtues again? Are we just talking about some theoretical thing that I should feel stirring my soul of like a, a warm fuzzy? Or, or what's behind this hope? You can try to live with a, a generic hope, I think, and you can have this for your future that you think, I hope I'm a good person. I, I hope good things happen around me, you know? And what I found is that if you live with a generic hope over time, it peters out. Right? And you can either get really frustrated or, or downtrodden or, or, or just not ever feel satisfied by something that was overly generic. There's a song by Third Day, My Hope Is You. And I so badly, when I was first learning to play the song on my guitar, I so badly wanted to sing it with My Hope Is In You. And it doesn't fit musically, which was always frustrating to me. But more importantly, it doesn't fit theologically. My hope is you. Jesus is the embodiment of hope. And I, I feel like pastors say this sort of thing, and we mean it, but it's really kind of confusing. You know, to have my hope is Jesus, what does that actually mean? I, how can a, a person be my hope? We can think about our, our military heroes. You know, is, is our hope embodied in Jesus the same way that we, we have hope that, that we're protected, that these heroes will come to our rescue, that they'll come in and, and save us when we can't save ourselves? And I don't think so, because I think that's the way that we put our hope in somebody, that they do something for us, right? That my hope is in you to, to be something because I can't be that. But what Scripture tells us is that he's the first of what we are to become. 
That, that's actually very profound, and I, I hope that hits you someplace that, that you didn't expect. He's the first of what we are to become. This is Paul again in 1 Corinthians. Again, we're spending a lot of time in 1 Corinthians. This is though 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. He's the first of what we are to become. Like I said, and it's something we're supposed to not defer and wait for. It's something that we can experience here and now. You can look at the life that Christ lived. You can look at the things that he saw and experienced, the closeness with the Father, the, the, the power and the authority revealed through his life, and you can say, that's what we are supposed to have part of in our lives. The adventure of faith. We've done such a disservice when our faith becomes theological and dusty and, and relegated to books on a shelf. Faith and a faith-filled life is an adventurous life. To, if our kids don't see that, that our faith-filled lives bring about risk and, and exciting times, we have done a disservice in church services when we paint this picture before them of what a faithful life looks like. It looks like folding your hands and bowing your head and, and coming to a, a place and listening to a guy like me talk for a while and everybody's bored and wants to go home. That is not the Christian life. That is not the Christian life. We are called to actually experience life as it was meant to be lived, that, that your heart starts pumping, that you look and you find the Father where you don't expect him because he's called you to the edge of what you can do yourself, and he meets you there and walks you through it. And you see that this hope is actually satisfied, that it has roots, it has meaning, it has intent, it has purpose, that it goes out to the lost and to the least, and it finds them and it loves them and it calls them home. That is our Christian faith. That is our walk. And if our kids do not see that, if they can walk away from our time together and be like, well, you know, I don't know, it seems more exciting if I can join the army or if I can go into high tech or finance or something, what have we shown them? What have we shown them? The Holy Spirit is the exciting adventure of a lifetime. And I do fear, really, that we've become placated. I really fear that we've put off our hope, that we've deferred this, that we haven't understood what we're embracing, what we're calling for when we say, Spirit, you can breathe on me if you want to. You can come like the wind if you want to. That is a, a wild invitation to say, let me see the fullness of God here and now in my days. What does this mean really practically? Jesus had communion with the Father. He heard his voice. He walked, he talked with him. Our hope is to find our home with our Father as Jesus did. Our hope is to find communion with the Father as he did, to be led into adventure as Jesus was as we listen, as we press into that. It means practically that the world cannot defeat him. What does it take for you to feel defeated in this life? Abby, who's visiting us, shared this tweet with me. I thought that this was really great. Um, God, why must you give me your hardest battles? And God says, I don't. You're my weakest soldier, and these battles are so easy. It's an email. Why are you crying? <laughs> 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 I thought this was so good, right? You know, 
<laughs> what does it mean whenever we feel defeated, right? We can be downtrodden. We can be torn down by the smallest things. When we put our hope in ourselves, when we put our hope in our abilities, when we put our hope in an institution or a company to provide for us, to protect us, we've put our hope in something other than Jesus. To have our hope in Jesus means you cannot be defeated by the things of this world. An email cannot defeat you. A period of unemployment cannot defeat you. A, 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 a failing grade on a test cannot defeat you. A, a fight with your spouse cannot defeat you in your marriage. Do you see where I'm going with this? Death itself cannot defeat you if your hope is in Jesus. And it's profound to realize that, that if Jesus is our hope, not in Jesus, but Jesus is our hope, that we are to be like him, death itself cannot defeat us. And I feel if you realize how quickly you can be defeated by things in this life, no shame in that. Learn to put your hope somewhere else. Learn to recognize that and say, then where have I gone astray? Where, where have I missed this? This one gets a little weird. We're to be like him in his resurrected body. 1 Corinthians 15, again. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. A little weird, like I said, right? Where are we going with this one? I'm getting old. You know, I can feel it in my bones when I wake up now. It, it just seems, uh, somebody, I was talking to somebody yesterday, they're like, every year there's like a new part of you that just doesn't feel as it used to. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I don't want this body forever. My hope is not to live this life as long as I possibly can. That doesn't make much sense. People are, are born with birth defects. People are born with deficiencies. People are, are born with, with limitations that are not our eternal hopes. There is a fullness in Christ. There's a fullness in body, soul, and mind that is there for us all. And Christ is the first fruits of what we're to have. And when we see healing, it's like we get a taste of that now. It's like we pull from that of, of what we will be to the here and now. We experience a bit of that eternity in the temporary. And that's weird, and it's wild, and we've seen it. And this is the scripture that testifies to that. It's weird stuff, y'all, but when we talk about healing the kingdom of God, this is really what we're talking about. This eternal hope, this idea that, that this is not me, this is not all that there is to me, that there's more to this, and we will all of us be changed as Christ himself was changed, as death itself could not hold him. Leaving aside now Christ as the embodiment of our hope, there's a hope that we, the church, embody ourselves. There's a hope that we, the church, embody ourselves for the world. I was listening to a, a Cherokee Native American Jesus follower the other day. He's a seminary professor. He was talking about his faith. And he wouldn't call himself a Christian because his people don't accept Christians. He struggles with it. He's a, a Jesus follower. He loves the gospel. The gospel has changed his life. But what he talks about is that when the good news came to his people, it didn't sound like good news. It brought sickness and death and hate and malice, and they were insulted and called savages. 
And he says to call himself a Christian to his people was embracing not the gospel of Jesus, but this whole message that came to his people and brought death, that made them run and hide. The missionaries are coming. Let's get away from this place. It was not the embodiment of hope for them. Gospel, he says, was bad news to his people that made them want to run and hide. And church, th- this is a little bit of, a, of looking ourselves in the mirror, right? How have we misrepresented Jesus? What do we embody to those around us? Is there, there one note of the story that, that drowns out the other things around us? You know, I, I think we often think about the story that we tell, and we, we want certain things to be clear. I, I want my kids to know that I believe in them. I want my kids to know that they're loved, but sometimes maybe they feel shame and judgment as a louder voice than what I'm actually trying to say. It's so frustrating. I, I feel like I can be crafting this, this whole thing and trying to be a good parent, and then like in one moment when the, the, the garland falls on my head and something breaks, then all of a sudden I'm out of patience and I'm like, ah! And that's the loudest note that they hear. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I think the church has made certain notes louder than others throughout our history. Now don't get me wrong, I believe the church has been witnessing to Christ, and I think that there's been faithful people in every generation trying, but if we ignore the mistakes, I think we're doing a disservice to ourselves. I think we embrace the lost and least whenever we point to the gospel and not to ourselves. Don't try to excuse ourselves, but we point once and always to Jesus. It's an old adage. I heard the story of an Amish man. He was asked, are you a Christian? And the Amish man paused and looked at his interview and pointed to his neighbor's house, and he said, for the answer to that question, you can only find that, and you can only find that by asking my neighbor. That's actually pretty harsh. (laughs) I can claim to be a Jesus follower, but what is being understood by the life that I live? Church, I believe that we need to embody hope for this world. We need to embody hope. That when we come by, there's not fear. There's there's not an immediate withdrawal, but that we are a hopeful people. This world, I think now, maybe more than anything else, needs hope. If we are hopeless, if we despair, where can those outside the faith turn when everything around starts turning to ashes? Whenever there's questions, whenever there's doubt, whenever there's turmoil, whenever people don't know if they can trust the government or the dollar or the the Bitcoin is crashing, whatever they've put their hope in, when all of that starts to shake and go away and they look, will they see Christians still with their eyes on Jesus embodying hope? That this world does not limit my days, that this world cannot defeat me, that there's nothing that this world can throw at me that will get me underneath the, the wheels of that bus. Can they see us then as embodying hope because we have found it in Jesus Christ himself. I'm not asking you to put on a brave face and and spout scripture verses at anybody who asks, but I'm saying like Jean Valjean and Grace, may we so dwell with the Lord that we are an incarnation of biblical hope, a hope that is not defeated, a hope that does not disappoint, a hope that is not deferred for someday in the future. So how do we do this? Again, like I said, this has to be concrete for to matter. First off, you must be born again. 
Now, I'm not talking about agreeing with the gospel. I think a lot of people agree grace is nice, forgiveness is good, and, and I, I, you know, if, if I've sinned, then I should be forgiven for that. I think most of us agree with that in, in principle. I'm not talking about even praying a prayer and having, like, trying to set this, this, this marker down. I'm talking about dying to self, all right? And allowing recreation to begin here and now so that it's no longer you who lives, but it's Christ who lives in you. That's how we begin embodying hope. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. None of the people I've ever known who have walked through this life enjoy the periods of brokenness and dying to self. And it is so vital for us as Christians. I I love to go to these vineyard conferences and and see um, people worshiping and engaging. And there's this guy that I've seen wow, I can say for over a decade now <laughs> at, these, at these conferences. It's this old man who must be in his 70s, 80s, you know, getting up there, and he worships with a, the, the passion that I wish I had as a 20-year-old. And I see his life, and I don't know his story one bit, and I don't even know if I want to, but I see in him a hope. I see in him something that I want to be when I get to on, on that side of it. He's been reborn, I believe, recast. He's gone the distance. And I'm not, I'm not betting that, that he's had an easy go of this. But recreation begins here and now. Remember this from Romans 8.29. God has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son. It's actually profound. It, we're, we're made for that capacity. We're made to be like Jesus. We're, we're made to fill out that hope that it could actually fits in us, right? It's not like, I don't know if you've ever tried to put on something, we, we use that illustration of like Saul's armor, right? But we try to put on something that doesn't fit. There, there's like, you know how people can speak foreign languages and they can trill their R's? I cannot trill my R's. I, <laughs> I have tried for a long time. It doesn't come out. My Spanish is terrible for it. My, my French is terrible for that. Uh, my, my Russian is really weak, but they're kind. Um, <laughs> But there's something, right, it doesn't quite fit, you know? And you know sometimes when you're trying to do something, I'm not talking about imposter syndrome in, in works, but right, sometimes, I'm, I'm not gonna be a football player. I think I can admit that now. I'm, I'm in my 40s. <laughs> that ship has sailed. You know, I'm not gonna be the linebacker. I don't have the bulk, I don't have the mass, like I, I can't stand there and, and intimidate these guys the way that they can. It doesn't fit me, you know? All of these things, when we realize who we are and what we've been made for, it can be incredibly freeing and satisfying to realize that hope fits us. You were made for hope. You were made to be, to be conformed to the image of Jesus himself. It fits you. It's who you were made for. When Adam fell, he lost much, though not all of the divine image in which he had been created. God restored it in Christ. Conformity to the image of God means to be like Jesus and Christ-likeness is the eternal predestination purposed of God. The second one for this is 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed or changed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. I believe that we become like what we worship, all right? Um, that, that means I'm going to become a greater Georgia football fan. No, it, it does... Uh, Hear me out on this. It's not the things that we claim we worship, all right? There, there's a lot of things that, that, that we worship and we don't 
realize that we do. And that this isn't meant to cause you shame or anything, but maybe a bit of self-reflection. Who have we become? Are, are, we, are we tending to, to be like Warren Buffett or, or Elon Musk? Well, I mean, maybe not there, but you know what I'm saying, right? Or we become like, like the, the, the pop stars that we think that their attitude is really cool or something. We, we worship them with a little part. We want to we be cool and hip. We want to hold on to that, you know? Or, or maybe there's this, this person that, that you see and you, you copy them just a little bit because there's part of you that wants to be like them. You look at your neighbors down the road, they have the, the flashiest Christmas lights, and so you want to compete, and you kind of come alongside that, and you, you become like these things that you worship, these things that you set before you, and you say, I want to be like that. I want to be like that when I grow up. It's not the things we claim we worship or worship in action while keeping our hearts somewhere else, but we become like the things that we worship. It's something that's betrayed by our, our lives over time. And sometimes it doesn't fit and we have a lot of frustration and disappointment in ourselves and judgment against ourselves on, on where we are and who we could be. But worship, worshiping the Father, worshiping in spirit and truth is what keeps us lumps of clay wet enough to be worked. It's vital. It's vital for spiritual formation. It helps so much with spiritual formation and repentance. It greases the wheels of ministry, promotes intimacy and honesty with the Father, acknowledging that God is good, understanding that, that he is what we are to become, reflecting on his glory, realizing that that hope and grace, that those are the things that fill my life with meaning, that forgiveness is something that I need to embrace and walk out all the days of my life when anger and frustration seem to be more pressing. When I make those choices, that is when we become like who we worship. Come, Lord Jesus. Next, choose hope. I'm not trivializing this, all right? I, I know that that sounds very trivial when you say just choose hope. Sometimes, though, we are blind and we cannot see this. Sometimes we have a choice before us. We can't even recognize that we could choose despair because it feels comfortable, because it's easier to just throw up my hands and to be like, well, I guess that's the end of that. Just wash my hands and, and walk away. And we think that that's it. But if you dig in your heels on hope, that's a choice. I will never forget the first argument I had with my wife when we were dating, and I had only known relationships that fizzled and died at the first argument because I was a young, immature kid, and that's what you happened. Like, you, you had a relationship with a girl, you have an argument, you say, well, that's that, okay? And I, we were in the car driving back from the varsity, going back to, to the apartments, and we, I, was, I can't even remember what it was about. But we hit the point, and I said, well, she could probably. <laughs> we hit the point, and I said, well, I guess that's that. And she goes, what do you mean that's that? I said, well... I guess we're done. She's like, no, we're not done. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. You can work through these things? Y did y'all know that you can do that? You can disagree with somebody and maintain relationship? You can make a choice. It, it was profound to me then. It still is profound to me that we have a lot, a lot to do with what we do by what we choose. We can choose to work things out. It's not easy. It's hard, sometimes harder than what you wish it were. But you know what? It is sometimes a choice that we've walked into. Sometimes we lean into despair because it's more comfortable or because we're tired or because it's the default option. But if we confront anxiety, fear, depression with hope, we can find Jesus. We can find his way forward. We can see what it means to actually put our hope in Jesus, to have him as our hope. Finally, 
Seek out the fulfillment of your hope. Seek out the source of your hope. Be relentless in it. Get lost in the story of it. Let hope drive you. When you wake up in, in, in a day, what, what sets the direction? The needs before you? The, the things that, that you determined the day before that a good plan would include? You know, often we, we allow life to happen to us. And I, I'm, I'm big on this. I, I want us to live the full and rich and abundant life. And I, I feel like sometimes life happens to me. And I, the default options become what I do because, well, what else am I going to do? I have to do this. I have to do that. But if we have hope driving us, I'm not saying that you throw your agenda out the window and you're just like, I'm free, though I have fantasies about that. You know, but that, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is realize the intentionality behind everything that we do. And be relentless in it. And if there's things in your life that don't line up with hope, why are you doing it? Really? And, and, and look at this. Examine this. Allow the Lord to speak and to lead you. And I think that can be a terrifying thought. Because often, that safety that we have on, on letting something else tell us what we should be doing just kind of feels comfortable. Well, it's not my choice. It's just how I have to do things. It's just the, the, the nine to five that I have to engage with because I have a nine to five. You know, I just have to do these things. When you press in and you find hope, when you press in and see Jesus behind it, it changes it. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm understand, yes, I'm a worker. I know that this is not something simple. Th this is not thing that I'm going to preach to you and say, and therefore my life is roses, Okay but I do, do this in seasons. I'll testify before you. It is a wonderful thing, and I wish I did it every day. I wish I did it every day, and I want to walk this out over time. I want to see this in 10, 20, 30 years as hope is my driving force, as my kids see a hopeful man, not a, not a, a, a man pushed here and there by the tides of, of the times and culture and society and, and the fear of financial ruin or whatever it is that could drive you, that could set your days I know there's a lot that we can do in this life. I don't believe that I'm going to have the time to embody the entirety of the gospel before I die, before I go to be with my father. I mean, that, that list that I read to you on the beginning, of everything that Jesus embodies, I mean, man. <laughs> I think Jean Valjean got grace done, and he did it really well. But here's the thing. I think I'm going to get a few notes. I think I'm going to be able to tell a, a bit of a story with my life. I think the song that is played before the Father with the things that I choose to do day in and day out will have certain things that are very clear. And I want my family to see hope as one of them. I want the Father to hear my hope is Him, that He has put that in my heart and that it is a bright candle burning for all to see. A hope that will not disappoint. A hope that shows the world what our gospel is really about. Here's the question for you, church. What do you embody? What are you the in incarnation of? Frustration, anger, despair. I read all those off because that's what I saw yesterday when that garland fell one more time. <laughs> I'm not yet fully formed. This is not me trying to, and by the way, let me say this. This is not me trying to have that false humility. You know, I think sometimes when I've, I've heard pastors talk about this previously, you, you think, oh, how cute. No, no, no. Do you know how dumb it is to get really angry at a garland? <laughs> like, to, to really feel it in your soul, like, to lose yourself to something like that in the moment. That was me yesterday. 
and to get lost in that and then to sit back finally and be like, what is wrong with me? Why am I not yet there? Lord, I'm still a man in need of a Savior. I still need your hope. I, I, Lord, would you do this because I can't do this myself. I need your hope because my own hope of just, just getting these decorations, that my, my hope of doing that, that's too shallow. That's too shallow. I need your hope. And it is true. I'll, the, the, the way this worked, I came here, we're setting this up, getting frustrated, kids running around, don't know what's going on. I got to finish the sermon. I got stuff to do. Go home, sit in my room, think about Advent, find the Lord, feel a bit of conviction, but really feel grace and feel hope for what this can be. And to text my wife, I think I said I'm sorry. I hope I said I'm sorry because I felt it. <laughs> I'm not yet fully formed. I need to contemplate the Lord's glory. I want my kids to see hope. I want them to see hope for this world, not just a forecaster of its doom. I want them to see hope for them, that the best in them will succeed over momentary troubles. I want them to have a, a hope for tomorrow that the kingdom of God comes close and that we have reason to celebrate. So church, maybe you need hope. Maybe you come needing that and not having that. Maybe you need to be born again. Not just agree with this stuff, but experience death and recreation. Maybe you just need to reflect on his glory to allow that to do its work but we're going to allow all those things right now.